Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Thank you guys so much for listening to Absurdity. I just want to let you know before we jump into today's episode, if you could tell by the title, Mental Illness and Suicide, today we are talking about some heavy topics. And while this is a conversation between two friends, we don't consider ourselves experts. We don't consider ourselves having it all figured out. This is two friends and two pastors just trying to navigate some of this stuff and talk about how it's impacted our lives. Uh, we do just want to give you a trigger warning as we do talk about suicide. Suicide is a huge tragedy. We don't want any that to befall anyone. And if you are struggling with suicide, we encourage you to please ask for help, get help from someone. You can contact us and we can hopefully point you in the right direction as well. So thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. And while today's episode is heavy, we also do believe there's some really good stuff in it. And hopefully we can change the way that we talk about mental illness and suicide and how we and change how we treat those who suffer from both. So thank you guys so much for listening to this and journeying with us. Here's today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Absurdity. I am Ryan Becker and I'm really glad that you are listening and I am joined once again by my fearless co-host, Tony Anoboli. Tony, how's it going? That's a pretty strong claim that I am fearless. I'm not going to... Oh, I thought you were going to say it's a strong claim that you're my co-host. I'm not going to make it. I, th- I think that's accurate at this point. But fearless, yeah. I, don't, I don't know about that. I'm afraid of a, quite a few things. Um, I saw on Reddit the other day there was a, a GIF. Apparently, the the official creator has announced it is a yes, GIF. It's, it's been that way for years. He said that years well, ago. Well, yeah, That's but he got an award from whatever, and so he uh, okay. he's, he's come out publicly. Um, but yeah, so so there's a GIF of like a blue shark actually biting a boat. Which they've been known to do, but like now with with smartphones and everything, like it's a slow motion, just like, hang on, hang on. and oh, he's yeah. just you know gnawing on it like a dog on a you know how dogs just gnaw on stuff. Like that's what he's doing, but it's like his eyes are all rolled back and <laughs> almost like oh, oh, oh okay. And I have Were had you? a love hate relationship with sharks. Grew up in L.A. and I was going to be a marine biologist, so of course you know you, that's like for kid growing up that knows the ocean sharks are like the thing and uh i wasn't really scared i know barracudas like they're 
like dozens of other creatures, probably hundreds of other creatures uh, in the ocean that will kill you faster and more uh, than a shark will. But they're just great. They're, they're like, I don't know. They're like, um, I like these, these majestical monsters that we've created, Yeah, which is a great really segue into what we're going to talk about today well before well actually i'm gonna i'm gonna cut that so because i want to ask you a really important okay. question were you a part did you get snapped this week on reddit did you get banned what do you mean you, you don't know you don't, I don't know. know oh my word i should have told what you so th- there's a subreddit thanos did nothing wrong uh-huh right and so it's kind of like the empire did nothing wrong yeah. but this is a subreddit yeah. for a spinoff of infinity right, War. So right. The, the entire joke of that subreddit is justifying what Thanos did in Infinity War, that there must be perfect balance. Well, the sub hit, the subreddit hit a thousand or a hundred thousand subscribers. And so people started calling to ban half the sub randomly because all things must be in perfect balance once we hit a hundred thousand. So the mods got permission from the Reddit admins to get, to make a script that would automatically ban half the subreddit at random, including mods and um and it they did a whole countdown yeah. and it happened July 9 so it happened Monday and, or yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um i got banned wow <laughs> i got i got banned uh, a couple other friends of mine got banned but you had to you had to you had to comment or post on on something on the subreddit for it to count okay I'm, i bet that's and, why cuz i haven't even heard i haven't heard this at all oh yeah this has been on the top of like of the all I'm like literally for, binging like, that yeah. right now because I'm in a class that I love, but it's like a fire hose and three hours of just constant information. So like I use Reddit as kind of a chaser. So like I'm paying attention, but I'm gotcha. halfway paying attention. So my brain isn't just like explode. And uh, so I haven't on a ton and I haven't seen that at all. That's crazy. Nope, they, made, they even made another subreddit I, you uh, know in the soul. You know what's insane though is that I, well, yeah, see, that's the smart thing is to like play off of it. Um, cause for, for most people who don't know, if you have not seen the movie, spoiler alert, um, but for those of you who have watched it, the soul stone, um, is a, there's a very significant scene right after he snaps his finger where he shows up in kind of this orange world and, uh, there's a young Gamora there and, and, you know, the whole, like, how much did it cost you everything? Um, and the fun means that came out of that. But most, what most people don't realize is there is in the soul stone, a soul realm, where people who are um, destroyed go back to. And so the theory is that everyone who went and kind of dis- uh, not died, but disappeared. Everyone who didn't feel so. Yeah. Cool. Like went into the soul stone. So like people who died, died. So like Loki could be dead. Like, yeah. Like Loki, Loki is, dead. Is, dead. is dead. He died. But everyone who goes into the soul stone, there's a potential for them to come back. Um, and yeah. that's the future that what's his name saw, um, Doctor Strange and all that. Anyway, so that that's the whole theory. Um, so like literally, that's how in my head I'm like, oh, that's how they're going to do it. So when he's in that moment, he actually goes into the Soul Stone and sees Gamora and then gets transported back out. Yeah. And so, so there you go. Yeah, that's how they're going to. That's yeah. my theory of how they're going to, you know, bring so, him back. Well, There's your so, nerd yeah, gas. So now I'm glad that we the half of the subreddit that got banned. Yeah. Is in the Soulstone, Soul of that's course. Our, that's, and that's our genius. new subreddit now. I'm I'm that's a hilarious. little bit mad that I've missed this now. I'm I'm as a nerd. Like, I'm like how? I'm legitimately banned from Thanos did nothing wrong, and I did nothing wrong, and I considered it a an honor 
and a privilege to be banned. You know what's crazy by my, though? By, by Snap. I'm by my Lord and Savior. I'm Thanos. the guy that I will always survive something like that. Like I will survive the coming inevitable zombie apocalypse accidentally. Like I'll wake up like 28 days later that. and just be like, "What? Where is everyone?" Nice reference. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, it's the it's the modern it's the father of modern zombie movies. Um, the Walking Dead, all that came out of that. So, like, that's my that's how I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going to survive. Like, we did the the Titanic. For those of you who've never gone to the Titanic exhibition, they give you a ticket, and they are like, um, whether you will survive or not. And it's a random ticket. It's random, randomly generated. I was a dude from second class, totally survived. Wife and kids survived. I survived. The rest of my family died. Like the Oregon Trail kind of a thing. <laughs> Your whole family has died of disappearance. Yeah, like that kind of a deal. But I survived. I was like a Benjamin something or other. I still have the ticket somewhere um, in the bowels of my room at home. Um, at my parents' house, I should say. Uh, so, yeah, like it's, it's, it's still there. But I remember like that. I have that kind of luck where it's like I didn't do anything right necessarily, but I just kind of survived. I've never won anything in a lottery, like libraries and all that. I've never won anything, um, which is why I don't play the lottery. One of the reasons why I don't play, but I definitely know I will survive something like that. I uh, I once won one of the claw machine games three times in a row in a Walmart. Super that, is a that is a lie. That is a lie. You I cheated. promise you. I promise you. And then I won one inside of a steak and shake. Okay, that so, I that I might believe. Steak and shake. Seems- um, but- those claw machines. Yeah, but Walmart, no yeah. way. Walmart, never. No. We all know. We know the truth. All right. State. So we talk, you brought up zombies, which still gives us a decent segue yes. uh, as we talk about. Realistically, um, we can make any segue, but no. yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, technically, they're not a good segue, considering the angle that we're talking about the topic But it today. is in the reverse as a reaction. Yes, but as far as a reaction, um, because, and this is this is what, you know, zombies aren't real. It's not a thing, but we've made monsters out of them. And uh, same with sharks. Sharks are just doing their own thing, and we've turned them into monsters. And I think uh, when we, you know, it's no secret what we're talking about today. So, but it's one of the things I see happen a lot with mental illness, which is we see people who are mentally ill, and we make them to be, we make them out to be much worse than they are, or um, we ascribe to them, you know, motives or intent that they don't even like. They're not. They may not even be capable of producing on their own. Uh, so one of the things that I, one of the things that I've experienced with mental illness is with people who, who are mentally ill is that whenever they do something malicious or harmful to me, they don't actually realize that they're doing something that's harmful. Now that does that make it not harmful? No, but that means that if, if I have that knowledge kind of that, that, that the actions can be compartmentalized from the person in that respect, then I can have a little bit more patience with the person that I'm dealing with. Now, this is not every single mental illness. This is ones that are significant enough or, or serious enough that you know someone doesn't really have control over their day-to-day normal behavior and or doesn't have a filter, things like that. But but you know, mental illness covers a wide gamut of Yeah, I mean, it really <laughs> of, is a huge spectrum. It's like me just talking about like someone being sick. You can there's a million and one different sicknesses and in the same way uh, I think it applies to yeah. mental illness. Yeah. But I mean, me, theoretically, I guess... I, there's a theory out there, and I can't remember the name. I wish I did. That every person is born with a mental illness. Um, it just matters to a um, the culture and cultural response to it, and b the varying degree of that mental illness. 
Um, so like you have people and it was that theory. Um, I think that started the investigation into Sherlock's home having Asperger syndrome or something like that. Um, I remember reading this somewhere and I needed to go through it again, um, to properly research it, but research it on your own, you know, I would love that. But yeah, like, you know, we all struggle with something like that. Um, my entire family struggles with depression, clinical depression. And I don't mean like the blues, um, you know, especially it was interesting. Uh, I took a, a marriage, family and wellness class, I believe it was called. And um, basically it talks about like the mental mental health of your family. Know your family history, know your family's mental health, kind of all that stuff so that you will be a good pastor here at the, the seminary. Um, you, you can be a better marriage counselor. You can have a better, better marriage yourself. Like all these things come out of... Um, you know, uh, uh, this idea of mental health and you have to go through your family history. And after going through it, I realized I'm like, Oh no, this is a thing. Like this is something that both sides of my family struggle with. And it goes yeah. all the way back. You know, when I, when I started talking and, and discovering, I'm like, Oh yeah, we just didn't, we just, you know, it's like shell shock. Like PTSD has existed since forever. We just called it cowardice or, you know, shell shock yeah, or exactly. whatever, you know. We just actually put a name to We've it. We've actually put a name to it and began to understand it and take the fear away um, instead of not talking about it. Um, you know, it was funny because somebody put up um, this this picture of a quote-unquote ideal family. And it was a, a right-wing person trying to make fun of a left-wing idea or concept and it was like this is the family that they hate and it was like this white family from the 50s and i wanted to comment i didn't because i I just i've kind of stopped commenting on stuff online if if i write a tweet or something and it gets a reply to like i've just stopped replying i'm like okay say your shot cool um hate is gonna hate but um with this one i really wanted to comment and go yeah uh except so this is the 1950s so that means dad's struggling with uh major ptsd that nobody talks about he goes out in the woods and you know kills you know kills little animals to to get his rage out um mom's an alcoholic but we just don't talk about it because she's day drinking but that's accepted uh the little boy is struggling with closeted homosexuality the older sister is is um trying to become a, a you know struggling to find her own identity uh because she doesn't want to become a mom um, and she wants a career. And I'm like, so, you know, these are all things that people were dealing with, or she's dealing with depression. Like I wanted to write all that stuff and be like, yeah, it seems idyllic, but that's because we've created this idealism for it. Like mental illness yeah. was there. We just yep. didn't talk about it. It all happened behind Absolutely. closed doors. Um, yeah. And so like with my family, like that, it, it, it's not only been prevalent, but I, after looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, no, this is a genetic thing. We all have struggled with this. And it actually helped me a lot, um, especially through my recent battles uh, uh, with it and, and my struggle. Because it's a lifetime thing, man. That's the other thing about mental illness. It's like being genetically predisposed to cancer or getting diabetes. Like, this is a struggle. This is something you're going to have to deal with your entire life. You are not going to beat it, but you are going to be able to keep it in submission or remission. Yeah, you can manage yeah, it. You can and, manage and, it. And you, and you yeah. can learn to live with it and, and make it work for you. Um, there's a whole debate on whether ADHD is a mental illness or not, but regardless, I have it big time. And I don't mean like the, Oh, you kind of like, I have been diagnosed by (laughs) several licensed people. Um, and I, I have it and I struggle with it and I know I do. And I have learned to make it work for me. And I've learned to just adjust my strengths and find people around me who, who are the other end. 
So I find socially awkward people who are really good at organizing, and I make them my friends. <laughs> By the way, hi, Becker. Um, <laughs> but no, like that's the reality. It's like you can make it work for you um, once you take the fear away from it. Uh, and because of my depression, I know that I have a very good creative side, and I can be very. I'm an emp- uh, emp- emp- empath. I don't know. Yeah, I'm empath, very empathetic. Um, you know, and and so learning to be able to adjust to that and to read people and and to associate certain things, as long as you take control of it, um, it doesn't have to be scary, but it exists. You know. Yeah. No, I I agree for the most part. I I think there are some mental illnesses. Obviously, I think there's exceptions to every rule, but I think there are some mental illnesses that you can't really learn to manage or keep in submission or relationship. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There are there are some that you like don't don't by any means mean like, no, you can just tough it out. No, no, no. I went to therapy to help learn like I didn't do this on my own. I had a ton of support and help um, to get that. And to be honest, um, most people in my position you know, need Adderall or something, you know, I've, I've debated taking Adderall and been like, man, I would be a way better student if I, <laughs> if I didn't have this craziness. Um, I had a friend that took Adderall and she basically, she would work all day and she would, she would be so focused that she wouldn't eat. Like she's like, she basically, yeah. Like you have to be really like careful with that. Um, yeah. And so, man, there's some people that, yeah, you, you can't manage it on your own and I'm not saying tough it out at all. Um, I'm saying, you know, Learn, learn to make it a strength and learn to, you know, whatever it is, continue to push it because, you know, there's some people living with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or, um, or which it's not even now it's not bipolar. What is it? It's, um, oh, I can't remember. It's, it's, there's a new word for it now. Um, you know, whatever it is, whatever your thing is, if it's, if it's getting to the point where you can't be, um, it's affecting how you live your daily life and you are not able to, to be in your own mind, however you define it successful. Um, yeah, no, absolutely go get help. And, and there are some things that are just too much for, for any one person to deal with. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I think we just all have to learn how to know ourselves and, um, yeah, that's the interesting thing about mental illness, man. What we did, sorry, I'm going to kind of segue a little bit here. We did um, a small group of Vespers on mental illness for a semester. And one of the things that kept coming up with this is that, you know, we treat mental illness differently. Have you experienced that? Like, for instance, I will give you, for instance, if someone comes in and says, oh, I have cancer or um, lupus or something like that, we immediately assume, oh, your body is betraying you. Like, it's not your fault. It's not a character flaw. Your body has let you down. Um, but when someone comes in with a mental illness, we immediately assume it's a character flaw and they're like, oh, I'm, you know, a porn addict or, oh, I have, I, I'm, I'm depressed. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. I've not been able to do this. I've been so depressed. We automatically assume it's a character. Like we don't go, oh man, your mind's really screwing with you, man. I'm sorry about that. I know that's a struggle. Like that's not our knee jerk instinct. Um, and I'm not saying it's right or I think it is wrong actually to assume it's a character flaw, but I'm not saying that that's one of the things we discovered is we go, you know, this is something that culture has assumed us to, uh, especially Western American culture. So it's, it's not out of the norm 
to just kind of have that. That's what we've been taught. But what we were saying is we need to start thinking of it in those terms so that we can help those people out. Have you experienced yeah. that? Well, I have, but okay. But see, the problem with that is like identifying a cold and is a much shorter, quicker process, right? You yeah, see it's change more, yeah. Much quicker and much more dramatically. So you can tell if a cough is a sick cough or, you know, after a few coughs, you can tell that a, that a cough is a sick cough versus yeah. like something that was stuck a wet in your one. throat. Um, but if they're, as opposed to mental illness, mental illness can take place, like that shift can take place over weeks, months, years. Like yeah. you watch the, you watch Alzheimer's, like when you're dealing with Alzheimer's or dementia, you, people are talking rumors about your memory and the way you're, the way you're behaving months. And in some cases I've seen it years, years yeah. before the actual Diagnosis. thing like really takes a hold. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot harder to identify something that's completely invisible. And it's a lot easier to just say, well, that's a character flaw or you've done something wrong, something like that. See, I have to be careful with this because mental illness is a lot closer to me than I can publicly admit on this show. Yeah, same here. It's not necessarily. Yeah. So I have to be very careful because there are some stories that are not ours to tell. Yeah. And, and that's and I want to respect those people to our, to our listeners like we want to be as open and honest like I will talk about my struggle. I know you can talk about your yeah. struggle, Ryan, but just know that when I do things anonymously, it's not because I don't want to be authentic or reveal. It's because I have not been given permission by some of these individuals, most of these individuals to talk about their struggles. And I would love to have them on yeah. the show. Um, I think this is something we can revisit at in an oh, interview absolutely. a few times. I want to bring an expert on at some point. Yeah. I really want to, I want to um, dive into this. But more. for this one, I think for sure, you know, you want to be very respectful um, when someone tells you their story or even when you live their story um, and not reveal that I've been extremely, extremely careful with the people in my life who I am close to. And there are several in my life um, who I am very close to that have had major, major struggles with mental illness. And I can't disclose any of that for their safety and out of respect for them. So just know listeners, like we appreciate um, authenticity and being real with you. So we're not hiding anything, but just know we haven't been given permission to tell those stories. Yeah. Um, so when I, when I look at mental illness too, outside of the difficulty of diagnosing or the difficulty of assuming it, like a, because of the huge stigma on Western culture, you can't even talk with a person about the possibility of a mental illness. You know, if I tell you, hey, man, I think you might have a cold, you might sit down and go, oh, you're right. Thanks for, you know, I didn't think about that or, or are you, whatever. But are if you I tell sure, you, man? I don't know. <laughs> but if I tell you, hey, man, I think you might, like, really have something wrong. Like, I think you might be depressed or I think you might have this or that. Yeah, um, I don't think these are just mood say, swings. Like, 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 I really no, think you I ought don't. to see. Yeah. We, we have this thing where we assume, assume because mental illness Having a cold, you're out of commission for a week. Having a mental illness changes Forever. can yeah. change your entire life if you're not care like if it especially because mental illness is something you don't have control over as far as, you know, when it manifests or how it maybe how it manifests originally, right? So if it just does, then it's a long road from talking about it to accepting mm -hmm. it to actually and, and living with it and, and learning to manage and deal with it. And so I think the the biggest thing with mental illness that that I've learned to have that I've learned. And I, when I say I've learned to have, it's something I'm still learning for someone who, when it, when I talk about mental illness, I've dealt with depression and a couple other things, but as far as like legit, um, someone is diagnosed and, 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 um, 
It's something they've had since they were, you know, it manifested in their teenage years and it's, it's permanent, right? Something like schizophrenia, something like one yeah. of those. Um, as far as those are concerned, I'm still learning to have patience and I'm still learning how to forgive and how to disassociate the person from their behaviors that they actually have no control over. Yeah. Like that's really hard. But there are tools, there there are steps you can take yeah. to have that patience with someone as they journey through their battle. And what I found is that when mentally ill people, especially those that are that are not mentally they're not so ill that they, they aren't in control of at least their thoughts, right? Like like they know what's happened. They're aware. Yeah. They're conscious they of what's happening. Effects, and they yeah. know they can't so they say the same things that are annoying you and that are frustrating you and that are hurting you are the same that things do, that are yeah. hurting me and I can't do anything yeah. about it. And, and the other thing I think, you know, well, what, what are some stigmas that you have noticed that come with, you know, mental illness and, and the well, a, that you're, well, a, I really, you know, I'm glad that we're, 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 we're stopping to use the word crazy or stopping using the word crazy yeah. when talking about someone who's mentally ill and, I think there are some people that still do it, unfortunately. But I think that those was, guys are that lunatics. Was was the, yeah, was the assumption that that you're crazy. Um, I think that's number one. Number two, I think the stigma is uh, that we're afraid of it because we don't understand yeah. it. Uh, and number, the other thing is, I think we use it as an excuse a lot of the time. Um, like, so I think we use it as an excuse to hide behind resentment mm. and to hide behind anger or fear or confusion. Yeah. And so I think I think that's. That's another stigma against it. Uh, the other thing I think um, a stigma against a stigma associated with mental illness is actually, and this is an East Coast thing I found out. Apparently, on the West Coast, like even counselors have counselors, even therapists have therapists. Yeah. But on the East Coast, like you grow up and you even suggest therapy, and you're call, and it's an accusation against someone. It's not t- asking them to get help, but it's actually like you're insulting me by telling me I should go. Yeah, to Yeah, it's it's a derogatory and, term. It's a yeah, pejorative. It's, 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 yeah, and so therapy is very much seen as this thing that only people in desperate need of help should have. And I'm kind of coming to the mind that I think everyone should just have therapy regardless of your mental That's health. not just like, the East Coast, man. Yeah. That's definitely the Midwest, too. Like, I think really, and yeah. this is kind of weird the way that it worked out, but realistically, only really on the West Coast, any parts of that at, at best... Um, do you have that association with positivity as far as therapy goes? Um, yeah. and like people with mental illness aren't treated with kid gloves. Cause that's the problem I see a lot is that it's, it's one of two ways. It's either a pejorative or when it is diagnosed, you treat them with kid gloves and you put them in a corner and yep. you like, don't just don't make any sudden movements or eye contact. And it's like, dude, they're not, you know, like they're, they're not a wild animal. You know, um, yeah, you just got to know certain things, you know, what are their triggers? Um, and, but yeah, like if for, so for me coming to the West coast, like I will fully admit I went to therapy. Like I don't see it as a negative thing. I'm like, yeah, I went to get help in the same way that someone with cancer is like, yeah, I went to see, um, my oncologist, like, well, that's how we view it. It's like, yeah, I went to the head wrangler the same way you go to the, you know, Wrangler. But then again, we also view plastic surgery, uh, you know, in the same way. We're just very open to <laughs> that kind of stuff. Well, but I like, don't see, personally, okay, so but see, then, you know. So then you're battling. So you're not only battling a stigma, right? You're also battling something else, which is like anything that reinforces. Yeah, stigma. culture. So you know yeah. this. I went. Well, no, no, no. I mean, even from counseling itself. So I went to counseling three, four years ago, I think. 
and four years ago, four or five years ago, actually, four or five years ago, I went to counseling for pornography addiction. I found a Christian counselor. Your story keeps changing, Ryan. And, uh, yeah, and so when I was going to counseling for my gambling addiction, (laughs) I... (laughs) No, when I was going to counseling for my pornography addiction, about three sessions in, the guy asks me about my relationship with my dad, and then he proceeds to tell me, this is a Christian counselor, not Adventist, but I don't really... I don't really care about the non-Adventist part. Like, in other words, I, what he's, what he's, what he, what I'm about to tell you, he said to me, does not come from the fact that he's not Adventist. I'm just telling you, I went outside our denomination. Yeah. I'm just telling you a fact. I'm not holding it against him. But after asking me about my relationship with my dad, and and for those who don't know, my dad died when I was 17. So this is when I'm about 21 years old, 20, 21 years old. He tells me, "You see, your pornography addiction is your dad's fault." Because he did not protect you adequately and did not keep you from falling into this and did not provide an environment where you would not fall into this trap. This is your dad's fault, and God is going to hold him accountable. And you need to not feel guilty because of something that you did not cause yourself. And A, I'm sitting there going, I'm 21, so no, I am accountable because I'm an adult. And B, who the heck do you think you are? Who the heck do you think you are <laughs> wow. to accuse, like, yeah. like to put that on my dad like that and when he's not even around to defend a, himself? I mean, a, like, he's not even around to defend himself. B, it's like, okay, well, that's not even close to being biblical. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. So I was like, so, I, so, man, I was so mad. I, I didn't pay for that session, A. And at the time, I was so stunned. I just kind of sat through the rest of the session. I left. I never paid for that session, actually. And... I never went back to the guy and I haven't actually been able to find a counselor since. And that was like three or four sessions into yeah. this dude. Like I, I just, so every time that something like that happens, it reinforces whatever negative stigma there is about counseling of course. too. So, or, or, you know, what's the, how do you find one that you trust or how do you find one that can really help you? And I think that's, that's another kind of battle that you have to find is no one really knows how to find counselors now. And how do you find one that that kind of follows your worldview if you're talking about a therapist or a counselor and will will at least understand your worldview to the extent of being able to journey with you? And so there are, you know, I think there's there's more than just like, oh, therapy is for crazy people. There's a lot more to it. But I think that that first layer of therapy is for crazy people is what prevents us from actually digging through the rest of them to actually get help. And what you end up with then is kind of the natural, res- not the natural result, but a result of mental illness, which is suicide. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think suicide as a result of the stigmas against mental illness, our misunderstandings and, and you know, our, our kind of view that we didn't really even know what mental illness was <laughs> for a long time in human history. We thought it was demon possession, things like that. And like suicide is one of those things that gets the, gets a bad rap when, in reality, I don't, in most cases with suicide, as far as mental illness is concerned, I don't see it as a selfish act. I don't see it as a, um, like, I see someone dying to suicide as exactly that. They didn't kill themselves. They died to suicide. If their suicide was in relation to, like, mental illness. I think there, there are cases where people have, you know, committed suicide of their own free volition and in their right mind, things like that, and... And we can debate if even the decision to take your own life would be made in your own right mind, but I think it can be. But I think suicide has happened mainly within the realm of mental illness, and we've attributed this malice to it. 
the selfishness and cowardice to it, when in reality, you're dying to an illness like you're dying to cancer. You're, di- you're not dying to suicide. You're really dying to depression. And suicide is just the term for that act or, I mean, that, that moment. And I'm not trying to say that suicide is a good thing or that, that we should just, that means that we accept suicide. What I'm saying is if we can take the stigma off of suicide, we can actually talk about it and get people the help they need before it's too late. Yeah. And, and what suicide is, is so different culturally. Um, you know, recently there was, I mean, not recently, I guess it was within the last year, um, a, a famous YouTube guy named Logan Paul did a video in Japan. He went to this famous oh, yep. uh, forest in Japan that's known. And in Japan, suicide has a very complex and interesting history. Um, it is a very different culture. It is one that is based on honor and saving face. And there is a just a ton of pressure put on people. Um it's analogous to other cultures. Other cultures have it, um, but they will they will acknowledge like and and interestingly enough, Japan has some of the highest stress rates and some of the the most in, intentional social structures in place to reduce stress. Those are the it's it's fascinating yeah. to watch because it's a culture that puts a ton of pressure on people, but on the same you know on the other hand also acknowledges that and deals with it. Um, versus in the West, we just don't we don't acknowledge that. Like we put a ton of stress on people, but we won't acknowledge that we do that, um, and we don't yeah. have an outlet for it, and we don't talk about it. like in in Japan to fall asleep at your desk at work is is like a wow way to go, dude. Like you must be working his <laughs> butt off um, because you wouldn't just lazy. You know, it's not viewed as being lazy. It's like he's working so hard he's he fell asleep. Like he sleeps at the office, kind of a thing. Um, they take siestas in the middle of the day, they have like required office times to go up and do yoga or relaxing things or exercise because they understand you can actually get more work done in a less stressful environment. So these uh, companies like, well, and, and I won't, I'm not saying everything they do is perfect, but companies like Google, Apple, certain ones where they have these intentional like playground places and places to de-stress and they, and they try to come up with um, a more family environment. So the open concept, uh, you know, offices that are, are glass and are able to be seen, um, you know, this, this is very these very psychological concepts that they come up with um, are more healthy and helping to deal with the stress. But anyway, going back to Japan. So this guy, Logan Paul goes there and without really explaining culture or anything, does a super offensive video um, showing people who have committed showing uh, bodies of people who've committed suicide, um, things like that. And he got just a ton of flack, deservedly. So like, I won't express my own feelings about him, but I mean, let's just say, let's just say I didn't know about him before and I wish I didn't know about him now. (laughs) Um, But the reality is that that culture, Japan, the reason why they have that is because they acknowledge that sometimes it's death by depression. It's homicide by mental illness. It's, It's as if their own brain murdered them. That's the concept that they take. Um, and so there is a significant difference in, from what I understand, I am not Japanese. Um, 
I have uh, Asian friends and Japanese friends, and I have talked to them a little bit about this. Not enough to be an expert, but from what I understand, they understand the difference between suicide by because you see no way out and by depression and stress and high level and suicide as a choice to regain honor. Um, you know, kind of a ritual, do this thing yep. to, to prove that you, you know, um, as, as an honorable way out. Um, and they make that distinction. And so, um, I don't know what that says to us about it, but I think we need to be able to get to that level where we look at suicide. We take the weirdness away from it and we acknowledge it for what it is and go, look, some people, um, there's a great, there's a great scene for the movie Luther talking about Martin Luther. And there's a kid who, because he was suicide, wasn't allowed to be buried. Um, and it was apparently he was, he was a new priest in this town of, I think it was Wittenberg. I can't remember. Um, but he was a new priest in the area and this kid wasn't allowed to be buried in the Catholic, uh, you know, which for them was a big deal. He wasn't allowed to be buried in the cemetery, um, with the church because of whatever. And so he takes the shovel and does it himself as the priest. And as he's digging this guy's grave, cause they won't even dig the grave for him, by the way, cause they're all afraid. They're like, you know, uh, uh, Germany was under, uh, um, uh, like a giant ban. I won't get into the technical term, but it's, it's basically a giant ban. Um, they were all essentially excommunicated. And so they didn't want to touch anything. Cause they're like, we want to get into heaven. So we're not going to like break any rules. And he's like, no, this yeah. kid, why is it any different for this kid than somebody who was attacked on the road by a bunch of, you know, highway robbers and, and killed like depression did the same thing. It hijacked him and forced him to do this. That's not fair. And so he buries the kid and the mom's just crying. And it's this very huge scene for him because he's like, there's something wrong. Like it's, it's kind of one of those, like something breaks in his mind and he's like, I got to do something. And it, and it ends up motivating him to, 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 you know, one of the things that starts his, you know, the concept of the reformation. And so it's important, I think, to, to, to take that mindset when we go into, talking about suicide and mental illness and all of this is it's important for us to acknowledge and say we need to strip something aside you know i'm not going to sit here and say i don't believe there's a spiritual component to mental illness i absolutely believe that there is something supernatural about it however i'm willing to acknowledge that there's there are very bio biological physiological um chemical and, and hormonal issues that we can deal with, that we can address. And if we just take the stigma away from it, the same way we took stick, we've taken stigma away and, and fear away from so many other aspects of life. You know, like back in the day, if you got cancer, that was the hand of God telling you you're screwed. Um, you know, and, and we've taken that so far away from so many aspects of life. And yet we still have this, we kind of treat people um, as crazies, you know, that they're dangerous and, and unpredictable. We don't know what they're going to do. Um, and it's like, no, you do know. Um, there was a guy who had anger issues growing up and it turned out he was diabetic. And when his blood sugar would get too low, he would act out. And so once the family figured that out, once they saw him starting to act a certain way, they're like, like, shut up, stop, check your blood. He would check it. 
and it sounds stupid, but he would have a Snickers bar or something. And it was literally that simple where it was just a matter or, or it was too high or whatever. Like when his blood sugar was off, it affected who he was. And as Adventists, by the way, we also believe holistically. So we believe, yeah, it's all connected. Your body and your brain is going to, they, they should work in sync. So when you are acting weird, it's probably because your, your body or your, 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 your mind isn't in balance with each other and to help out with that. You know, one of the things they say to help with depression is to, to exercise, to get out, actually get sunlight, get vitamin D, you know, uh, seasonal affective disorder is a real thing. And so in, in Alaska and places where they don't get a lot of sun, they, they know to combat it. They get, you know, special UV bulbs and they sit in happy rooms um, where they literally just get vitamin D in these rooms for like an hour. Um, you know, people take Sounds naps. Like you need that up at Andrews. Oh, dude, I'm. You don't think I'm getting some of those? Like, I'm getting a UV lamp yeah, when I move no. there. No, we no will, we will asked. sauna together. We'll just sit there and <laughs> we'll record as we're like our 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 recordings. By the end of the hour, will become like so much happier. Like they'll start off like life sucks, everything's horrible. And by like hour thirty, like like you know the sixty minute mark, will be like, man, I love you so much. This is know, so great. Right? But I think that's part of removing that stigma because, especially for Christians, um. Man, we, we need it. We need to take that off because when we talk about suicide, and there's evidence of suicide all over the Bible, um, but to me, it's to me a lot of the suicide that we look at is just as it's just as much somebody being killed by something they cannot control as Uriah being killed by David. Your own body has pulled, and if you don't know the story, Uriah was best friend of David, one of his mighty men, um, had a beautiful wife. David slept with the wife, wanted to, you know, try to, to hide it, so it didn't end up working out. And, and long, you know, long story short, he ends up having Uriah being put in the front line of men to assault this city, and then as he goes up front, he has the rest of the army pull back so that this dude's left alone, and he's killed by archers on the city wall. Um. And to me, that's, it's the same way. That's how I view it. It's like, yeah, granted, there are people that do take their own life because of, of selfish reasons. Um, but at the same time, you know, we look at Saul. Saul's such a complicated character, the king. You know, we know he struggled with depression. Um, they didn't call it that. It was a melancholy spirit, um, according to that. But he literally would have David come and play songs to raise his spirits and different things like that. And so, yeah, he was affected by depression. Now, was it because the devil got in his head and the enemy was working with him? I don't know. Probably. Um, I know it, it definitely had an effect on him. And so when we look at it from that point of view, um, when he killed himself, his sons were dead, killed. He probably watched that happen. Um, the battle was over. And... He had been lied to by an evil spirit uh, pretending to be Samuel, the prophet, and basically told that, yeah, your, your whole, you know, Israel's going to get taken over. So when we look at that, we could say, oh, yeah, no, that's totally an example of a selfish death. Like he just killed himself. Um, how selfish. Or we could look back and say, here was a guy who, yeah, made some horrible choices, horrible choices. And ended up where he was because of his own choice. 
It wasn't something that he, he chose to be where he was at. And yet that final act was probably something that he could not control. It was, he was so overcome with this emotion. And because he, he had chosen not to allow God to have that kind of connection to him in his life, he ended up taking his own life. And that is incredibly sad. That is something that is, um, if we look at it from that complex way, I think we can get a much better and more full view as Christians on how to help people who are struggling with depression rather than just to simply, oh, yeah, he just killed himself. Well, I think um, David Foster Wallace has probably the best quote on suicide I've heard. Um, it was kind of a game changer for me when I was thinking about this topic, especially with mental yeah. illness. Uh, and it might be for someone else. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can just look up David Foster Wallace suicide quote. Um, I, he, I just, I'm going to pick up in, about midway through it, but he's talking about um, a psychotically depressed person, quote unquote, uh, who doesn't die. You know, they don't die of hopelessness uh, or that, you know, life seems completely worthless. It's not, or because death is appealing but it's because they feel trapped. And he says, the person in whom it's invisible agony reaches a certain unendurable level will kill herself the same way a trapped person will eventually jump from the window of a burning high rise. Make no mistake about people who leap from burning windows. Their terror of falling from a great height is still just as great as it would be for you or me standing speculatively at the same window, just checking out the view. In other words, the fear of falling remains a constant. The variable here is the other terror, the fire's flames. When the, fa- when the flames get close enough, fa- falling to death becomes the slightly less terrible of two, it- of two terrors. It's not desiring the fall. It's the terror of the flames. And yet nobody down on the sidewalk, looking up yelling, don't, and hang on, can understand the jump. Not really. You'd have to have personally been trapped and felt flames to really understand a terror way beyond falling. And it really is this feeling of of trapped and and actually we see this with we see this with medically assisted suicide, yeah. which is someone says if I'm gonna die I'm gonna choose the way I die yeah. too. So there's a little bit of this is my last little bit of free agency that I feel like I have, and so I'm gonna use it the way I want to use it and go out on my own terms. And what's funny is when it comes to mental illness we say that that's terrible, but when we look at movies and a and a warrior does that they're like wow that's so honorable and so respectable. And I'm not saying that because I want to encourage anyone to commit suicide or I think suicide is at all a good thing. I don't think death in any case is a good thing, period. What I'm saying is if we don't change the way, if we don't, if we don't start talking about mental illness and suicide in a way that, re- that reduces stigma, that reduces shame as a result of having those mental illnesses, and we start accepting people who do, which means providing a place for them in the church— which means taking care of their needs and figuring out how to take care of their needs. You know, it really bugs me that I spent four years in university and not a single lecture about mental, not a single lecture about mental illness. And yet mental illness is something that plagues every single church. Like I can't think of a church that doesn't have at least one mentally ill person in it. And I'm in three churches and I've dealt with mental illness in all three of them multiple times. And it's an ongoing thing. And the only reason that the only reason that I have been even remotely able to kind of manage it and, 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 connect with the individuals and connect with the families of those individuals is because I've had to deal with it myself for the last 16 years, right? So for me, it's something that like, it's been a part of my life for a while. So I I have a little bit more understanding, 
but it's sad that they're so, we, we're taking our pastors and we're putting them in churches where, and, and they have absolutely zero understanding of what a mental illness is. And what they may have, if they have any sort of understanding, is the old conservative traditional view of suicide and mental illness that says, well, you just need to have more faith and you just need to pray more. And you just need to do this and that, and God will remove it from you. And yet there are moments in Scripture where God heals someone regardless of their faith. Like John 5, when the dude, when, they, when, when, the, when he helps the, the, the man walk at the pool of Bethesda, the guy goes to the priest and they say, who healed you? And he says, a man. He doesn't even know it was Jesus who healed him. So you can talk about him having faith when, when Jesus says, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks, and he had faith in what Jesus said, but he didn't know who Jesus was. So there's this whole thing of stigma around faith and how we talk about suicide and mental illness, and it's ridiculous in my opinion, because we end up causing far more damage than we do. And I'm not saying—I should be clear here—I'm not saying that pastors should be licensed, should be, you know, no, a licensed yeah, no. counselor of someone who's Or, or try Ill. to be. I think we should know how to interact with someone who is mentally ill. I think we should know how to defend someone who's mentally ill and provide a safe space for them. I don't think we should be the ones that are responsible for counseling them. I think that should be just like I don't want to be the one diagnosing someone with a cold or prescribing, yeah. you know, medicine. But we, but, but we, we need to know how to how to treat them and how to interact with them. Because um, I think a lot of times it's it's one way or the other. We either ignore them or we shunt them off to somebody else. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is your this is your member. You know, you're responsible for them. Talk to them. Be around them. Um, but learn how to do so correctly. No, I, I'm 100% with you. You know, we get taught a lot of theology as Adventists. We don't get taught how to help people. And to me, I think that's where it starts. We're not very good at discipleship um, in the Adventist church. Um, I think overall in Christianity, we're not very good at it, but I think a lot of other churches are doing really well. They're being intentional because it takes intentionality. Discipleship doesn't just happen. Um, and so I think a lot of times we're really good about bringing people in, but we're not good about dealing with the people who are already there and helping other people who have just entered. It's kind of like, we're like, all right, you're on your own now. Talk to Jesus. Well, I might, I might push back a little bit on that. Only, only good. Only because, like, here's the thing, and I know I might get some flack for this, but church, churches are not designed, and the system is not designed, period, to actually provide support. As it is right now, yeah. As it is right, like it never was. That's what I'm saying. Like, the system, yeah, no, you can fight me on this oh. all you want. The system was always designed to do two things, create community and provide a place of worship. The system. So I'm not talking about house churches and acts. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm talking about the formalized religious yeah. system. I'm not talking about from the beginning. No, no, no. The yeah. Church in yeah. Its own, the church has always existed as an enterprise that preserves itself and sustains itself through donations of its members. And, and it does provide a place of community. But here's the thing. When someone comes to me off the street and says, I need help doing this or I need help doing that, like we are not the organizations. None of our members are actually trained in how to, how to deal with community response unless they happen to have it from their actual outside work. No one, you know, emergency response. Like the the system itself isn't set up in a way. That's not the the purpose of our churches is to provide a place of worship. Yeah. And the only things that we're trained to do, the only thing that we're as members or as pastors, the only things that we're trained to do is is how to bring people into worship. And we're not we're not trained to actually help someone take care of something in their life so that they can. Unless it's something that like we already happen to know, or are passionate like, about. I was an ex. I, I yeah, agree with that to an extent. I think originally we were, when we were still 
more a movement than an organization. I think that has shifted. I think it's going back. I certainly hope it is. I see it a lot in the Western church. Um, and I think outside of, because I can only really speak to Westernized Adventism and Christianity. Um, Excuse me. You're, you're a, this is a Eurocentric conversation, <laughs> and because of the color of our skin, we have permission to talk about everything. Yeah, no, Thank totally. You. But I Maybe haven't really know. experienced it outside. From what I've heard, uh, it tends to not be very different in other countries, Africa, South America, etc. Um, kind of the same as what you're saying. But I also know that community, just those are cultures that value community more anyway. But yeah, I, 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 I would agree with that to an extent. I definitely well, think that it, be- it, it wasn't especially organizationally, it wasn't built to do that. Um, I think naturally the church should be, and I know we aren't taught that way. Um, currently, I think that, again, is changing. I think people are starting to see the value of it. Um, and we also need to keep in mind that communities naturally built, pardon me, naturally occurred um, in previous generations, we're part of one of the first yeah. generations where we are fractured. We've become a world community. And so I can live in a city and not meet anybody else. Before you had to go to Chicago or New York or any of these large places. Um, now you can live in a medium size just because of the population boom and not really know the majority of people in there. It, it's no longer Mayberry, you know. Uh, Andy Andy Griffith's show, for a majority of reasons, um, isn't the reality, isn't the normative anymore. And so... Yeah, you don't meet your neighbors. I don't know any of... I know maybe two of my apartment neighbors I've lived here for yeah. two years. I'm just getting to know the people who live in my own house. Um, some of them. And some of them I knew I was friends with in in undergrad. To be clear, the house that he lives in, he has like roommates yeah. in. Just like it's not like his, <laughs> it's not we, just like his own all, family. Yeah. Just, no, just, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm a student. <laughs> I have housemates. Um, but like some yeah. of these people, we we were we were acquaintances in undergrad, and we're just starting to get to know each other. And I'm like, we we should be we should know a lot, but we just don't naturally because a there's a lot of people, and b we've become a world community. So like the internet's brought everything smaller. Everything's brought something smaller. So when we go back to this idea of mental illness. In that same way, communities used to come together and help deal with this because it was much smaller. So you, even though it was the crazy, it was our crazy. Um, And and then came the idea of institutionalizing them and they were shunted away. Um, And now it's kind of swinging back to, well, these are our quote unquote crazies again. And... um, and I think that that's good. I think it's important. And I think that we need to learn how to do that intentionally because everything about community needs to be intentional now because people are looking for it and it's not, it doesn't build, we, we don't have a culture that builds that naturally. Um, well, it's, it's, it's something to me too. Adventism is such, is actually in a pretty unique position that it, in that it's poised to actually be able to do a whole ton of good in areas like this, right? So if, if, if you're someone who has like a need, if you're, if you're poor, you're impoverished and you need food or you need shelter, right? There are places you can go. You fill out an application. There's yeah. an entire process to make sure you get what you need. Our churches don't have that. Someone shows up, like if someone shows up to my door, I don't know what to do. I mean, I do because I'm a, like, 
I do to some extent, but every like, but we I don't, don't. We don't have there's no organization. Protocol. For there's yeah. no. There's no organization, but yet we're so well connected, and we have all these offices above us. The ratio of like this this was mind blowing to me. This kills me, and this this actually really frustrates me. I'm going to make a lot of people mad right now. The ratio of administrators to pastors in our conference is two to one. There are two administrators for every pastor, or not conference. I'm sorry, like division, and it might be the world church, but I'm I know for sure the NAD. Um, two to one. Now that's not that doesn't mean that there are two administrators overseeing me directly. I'm just saying there are double the amount of administrators in and yet we've got and and the correlation does not mean causation. I get that. What I'm saying is we have these this army of people at a systematic level that could be um that could be finding resources that could be and a lot of them do in different areas, but in other words, we don't have any mental health division. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I would love to see some dedicated resources to training churches, to providing forms, to providing a system. Like I think there should be a section in the church manual on dealing on on, on receiving some receiving needs. And I think there should be and it's not and it's not as far as the manual is concerned not requiring people to do it this way, but here's a way to do it. You need to uh, have some form of this. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, and and I think we should have a mental health division that is providing resources. We do. We just recently, you're seeing with the NAD doing end it now and, and working with anti-slavery efforts and um, you've got anti-human trafficking and yeah. things like that. Like, I think that's really cool. I, we're just in such a unique position because we're so organizationally structured and our churches are inter- so interconnected that it's amazing to me that we haven't done more in the 21st century than we have. It, it amazed me. Yeah. That, it amazed me when I was dealing with, ahead. or not dealing with, when I was associating with um, a lot of non Adventists as in, in, in high school and um, a little bit younger. You know, th- you can have two people who go to a church, not five, I mean, the same denomination, not five miles from each other, and have no association with each other. Um, yeah. And for me growing up in L.A., I mean, I knew all those I, I knew almost all the youth from the different churches, not just my own church, but like all the different churches in the area. Granted, Adventist churches tend to be smaller, but these were not small churches. These were large. I mean, like Vallejo Drive Church, I think, had like 1,600, 2,000 members, um, you know, Glendale City, Glendale Filipino, Glendale Spanish, Eagle Rock, like all these churches I grew up in. Um, in that area were huge, massive churches with a large youth system. And we all knew each other. Moving to Arizona, I knew a lot of them between summer camp, between all that. And yet in the Christian church, yeah, they, they really don't. Even if you go to the same, like, I go to Grace Community. Really? Which one? I go to Grace Community. Wow. Like, <laughs> and I would see this a lot of times at summer camp, you would get these like Methodist or, or I won't you would get these other denominations that would come together for, for a camp or something like that. And these kids would like meet each other for the first time and find out they live next to each other and just go to different, yeah. you know, and it was like, wow, in the Adventist church, we didn't, we, we have that ability to be so interconnected. It really is. We are different branches of the exact same church. We're one church and different branches of it. And, and it should help us. So much so with mental illness. I think we just have to be intentional about it. Because here's the thing. In all of my dealings with mental illness, the number one thing that helps people overcome their low periods and succeed in in either taking control, managing, or starting on that road is support. 
community. Yep. I had uh, someone very, well, I've had multiple people extremely close to me deal with major clinical depression. I had one individual that we both know that struggled with it hard, had a really big cataclysmic life-changing event happen, and to the point that it changed them from, like, their personality, aspects of their personality disappeared overnight. They became a different person. Um, and I actually refer to them as like a pre this moment and post, like kind of like, you know, AD and, and yeah. BC, um, like there's a pre this and post this. And they are just now several years later starting to become the person they were before this event. And the biggest thing that got them through that was just community. It wasn't me helping them out. They went to therapy. They ended up having to take, um, a little bit of medication, um, for, for a short amount of time. But, but they needed to do that just to take the edge off so they could continue to function um, and, and, and begin to get on that journey. But the number one thing that did it was support. And if we cannot support, if, if we allow stigmas and fears, presuppositions, biases, um, cultural cultural normatives, negative cultural normatives and associations, if we allow those things to keep us from being a healthy and supporting community for people with these mental illnesses, not only will it lead to suicide, but ultimately I think God will hold us accountable for not being there. I think it's one of those things like in Matthew 25. Now it's not explicitly stated, um, but I think it's one of those things in Matthew 25. When I was depressed, when I was dealing with this, when I was in the throes of struggling with my mental illness, did you support me? Were you there for me? And those on the left will say no. And those on the right will say yes. Or, or you know what I mean? He'll say to those you know, on the left, you, know, you weren't there. And those on the right, thank you for being there. And they'll say, you know, when? And he goes, when you helped this person out, when you were there for them. You didn't have to fix them. You, di- you just had to be there and support them and say whatever it takes to help get you to the next level, whatever it takes, regardless of whether you improve or not, we are here for you. We support you. We love you. And we are going to let you be you. We are going to help you be you. Um, well, I think, you know, in the, in the context of the David Foster Wallace quote I shared, we, th- we seem to think of the way that we help mental illness is by telling people yeah. not to jump, right? Just keeping yeah. them from jumping, just yeah. keep them in the building. Our goal with mental illness is just keep them in the building. When our goal within the context of this quote is really to, to lessen the terror of the flames. And I think one of the flames, one of the very real flames that closes in on those that are mentally ill is the perceptions and the treatment of those yeah. around them is the abandonment from other people. It's the, and so it says, look, I'd rather die than be hated by everyone. And so this constant reassurance and this constant understanding that their brain does not work like our brain does Oh, you know, whatever. Even you know, their, their own brain. Everyone's yeah. brain works differently. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's like the way that we deal with mental illness, it's not about keeping them on the ledge. It's about removing the, it's about lessening the terror of the flames and lessening the flames themselves. And and, and, and the reality is we can't do that from the ground. We have to do no, that. we can't. In the building with them. Whether or not we feel the terror of the flames, we have to get out either on the ledge with them or there and say, hey, I don't know how we're going to do it. I might not be able to make these flames go away, but we're going to deal with this together. 
but you're not you're gonna not gonna burn, burn if we're, we're, we're like both going down yeah. well and that's and it's it's hard because like for me this is what i can say about mental illness at least for the next 10 years if not more i'm stuck with in a financial situation in a financial hardship that is a direct result direct result not indirect not even close direct result of mental illness i'm stuck yeah. with something that month after month i look at and it's a reminder of what this person has done to me and what this person has caused <laughs> And it like that resentment, it's really yep. hard to do like deal oh, yeah. with. Like like what happens as a result and, and and so it's one of those things where like I get it. I get how hard it is to sit on that ledge. I get how hard it is to swallow your pride and to to forgive and to and, and what I love, I'm watching the show Suits and one of my favorite one of my favorite lines in that show is um forgiveness is not getting rid of something, it's getting over it. In other words, understanding that at least in the in the context of someone who's mentally ill and who their behaviors they in in many cases can't control, I can't get rid of the behavior, but I can get yeah. over it. Yeah, and, and you shouldn't excuse it. By the way, hold hold no, people no, no, not at all. Hold people accountable it. for their actions, um, but do not hold that against them. Yeah, and all of this is done within the context of, of relationship. Like of I don't, I'm, I'm not giving like Christians free license to just approach any mental ill person, mentally ill person, and say, hey. Are you getting therapy? Are you doing this? Absolutely Are you doing not. that? They've That's not given not... you that permission into their life. But I think the best thing that we can do right now, and then I'll let you speak again, sorry. Um, the, <laughs> the best thing we can do right now is find those people in our lives that we haven't, um, all, all the happy people. Find the happy people in your life and ask them how they're doing and don't let them yep. get out of it. Um, like really ask them. Find the happy people. Not the people that you think you should talk to. It's the people who you don't think you should ask ask them how they're doing and, yeah. and be like, no, 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 really. How are you doing? Ask, I mean, what, I, I think know? a, yes, don't, don't ignore this, but I mean, I think we should ask everybody. I mean, I try to ask everyone, Hey, how are you doing? And I don't say it in a flippant way. Um, I agree. I'm yeah. just saying like, if we're going to, if we're going to start yeah, somewhere, start there for sure. You know, when I was in my lowest point, um, talking about, you know, standing on the ledge, one of the things that I am eternally grateful, um, I, I am not happy that I had to go through this experience. I am not pleased I had to go through this experience. I would have preferred not to have gone through this experience. However, having gone through it, I can say now I know what it's like to be on that ledge. I was never suicidal, but it was on the table. You understand Same. that you could not have to deal with this. And unless you've been on the ledge, you won't understand it. You won't understand it. You really won't. Um, it was not desirable. It was not something I wanted. It was not something that I looked at, but I just thought, well, I could not deal with this anymore. And I can understand why someone who's dealt with it for five years, I mean, I dealt with it for a significant amount of time, but it was not an extended amount of time if that makes sense and i can understand why someone who's dealt with this for for a extended long drawn out period of time would look at it and say yeah i could just not and un until you've truly experienced that you won't understand it but there were people who were in the room with me they might not have been on the ledge they might have understood it but they were in the room and they said look regardless of whatever i'm going to be here for you i'm going to support you i love you you're awesome and I am eternally grateful to them for that. And I recognize 
that I was in their shoes. And now that I have been through that, now I have that now that I have sat on that ledge, I understand and I can sit there with somebody and go, hey, we're going to get through these flames together. They're going to burn down. It's going to go down. I don't know how this is going to play out, but let's play it out together. And that support, which is why things like 13 Reasons Why, and all, I, I won't get into all of that. I will say we need to change the narrative about some of this stuff. Um, please do not think suicide is a weapon. Do not use suicide as a weapon. Any of our listeners, if you are struggling with any of this, contact us, somebody, anybody. Talk about it. Get through. Be vulnerable. Do not be afraid uh, because there is no coming back. Um, yeah, I, I think... There is light at the end of the me, tunnel. For me, suicide was... I was suicidal at one point, actually. and But I don't... Looking back on it now, I don't think I would have ever actually done it because the suicide for me... And I, I was there, yeah. don't get me wrong. My thing was, for me, it was a cry for attention. Um, and I was young. I was not even 13 yet. And I mean, I was 11 or 12 when this was at, when it happened and it was a cry for attention. It was a very much I'm lonely. And then I imposed even more loneliness because like, so I would come up with these reasons I was alone and then I would, and then when people would try to come to me, I would push them away yeah. even further. And it was, it was all a cry for attention. That's like, it, that's all. It was a desperate cry, cry for attention. And I had two friends that talked me off the ledge um, and that, that helped put down the, put the terror away. And I, I got through it, but like I actually was, and I think you're absolutely right that that you need people who journey with you through it. Um, I was really glad that just this past week I got to see both of those individuals, and I'm still friends with them, you know, 12, 13 years later. Like that means the world to me. And it's one of those things where we do need to change the narrative. We need to change our conversation and understand that no one is immune to these conversations. Absolutely not. Yep. That 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 every single person. I mean, I was I was 11 or 12, and how many times have we seen it this in kids? Oh yeah. Um, especially if you're a parent, if you're a parent who works a lot, like for me, both of my parents worked full time and I'm not demonizing them. I'm not blaming them. I'm just it's saying the reality, the reality yeah. of my childhood was that I was the youngest of three children. My sister is nine years older than me. My brother, three years older than me. They had their own lives. And when, and my parents worked full time, they would drop me off at school and I wouldn't see them again until, you know, six, seven, eight o'clock at night. And at that point they would go to sleep. Or they'd be in their room because they're exhausted from a day of work. And so, and on Saturday, the day that you're supposed to spend time with your family, like they would be sleeping because they were so tired. My dad ran sound at his church and would be there from five, six in the morning up until two o'clock in the afternoon. He'd bring home lunch or he'd, he'd cook for us. And then that was it. And then he'd take a nap. And so like all of this was this severe loneliness that I felt. And I was doing this and I made this huge cry for attention. And what's funny is the way I did it was not because of them. Like they did, I didn't, I mean, it was not necessarily because of them. It wasn't directed at them. My cry for attention was directed at friends. And somehow, I guess I hope my parents would see, but like everyone, no one is immune to this conversation. Absolutely no one. And if, so if you're a parent who works full time, please like talk to your kids and let them know that you love them, that you appreciate them and, and do something special. And this is also where we as Christians can help. This is where you, someone with no training can help out. And that is find Find those people. Um, that's why to me as, as a pastor, my job is not to do, but to teach, to equip and to train. That is my job because yeah. I have been through a lot of these experiences. Um, I am not just a spiritual person. I'm not just somebody who knows good theology. I'm somebody who can sit there and go, hey, 
here's how you love people. Because Jesus was there for these people. Um, if you don't think he knew what it was like to be on the ledge, read what he says in the Garden of Gethsemane. Read through that. Now, he made the tough decision, but he asked, is there an easier way? Because I will take that route. I will take the easy way out. I want that, not my will. Yeah. And if you don't think that Jesus went through all of this as far as supporting other people, read through the Gospels. I mean, just read through them. Luke, Mark, John, Matthew. Um, John especially, you get a very emotional Jesus where he sees people who are struggling with these things. Um, and he helps guide them. I love his response to Peter and John. Peter and Judas, two disciples, very similar choices that they made. Judas commits suicide. And this is one of the ones where it was a very selfish he committed suicide because he was, it was not depression. It was a choice. It was something that he did that we can look at and say, this was, this was a selfish act. I'm not demonizing him. I'm just saying this, this, it was not something that overcame him. He went and did this thing out of, out of self-association. Peter had a similar issue. Jesus' response to Peter would have been the same to Judas. Know this. Jesus comes up to Peter afterwards, after all of it's said and done, and goes, Peter, do you love me? And Peter immediately goes, yes, 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 yes. And Jesus goes, okay, then feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Take care of my people. He repeats this three times. The amount of times that, she, that, that Peter had, had forsaken him, had been like, no, I don't want anything to do with him. Similar to, betrayed him, essentially. By the way, those terms are similar terms. He had yeah. betrayed Jesus. Yeah. Jesus would have taken Judas and then the same exact thing. Betrayed him with love, not condemned him, right? Jesus doesn't come up to Peter and say like, all right, because you betrayed me. But he goes, okay, you want to show you love me? This is how you do it. He supported them. He sat there and said, here is how we go about healing and bringing about healing. Um, and he does this over and over in many other parts of the gospel. And this is why I love being a Christian, because we have a leader who, who showed us such an incredible way to do with this. We're way over time, so I'm going to finish up. But when I follow Jesus' example, and learning how to love people, especially dealing with something as complex and um, expansive as mental illness. When I follow his example, it becomes very, very easy because not only does he give me the words to deal with it and inspire me, and not only does the Holy Spirit um, go through, and I'm saying I'm not saying I've made every good decision or listened or whatever, but I have additional help in addition to my willingness and by following his example, I can lead people to him and say, this is where I get this from and bring them to the ultimate healer. That in addition to medication, in addition to therapy, in addition to a supportive system can make the difference for people, all the difference in the world. It's not the only thing, but it is definitely the central core. And that is connecting people to God. Um, yep. 
And I can do that if I follow his example. If I go off and decide to do my own thing, yeah, then I can't follow how Jesus did. But if I am a, a Christian and I'm able to do that, I can bring people to this wonderful place the same way that he did. Yep. I think that's a good note to end on because we are way over time. I apologize. That's okay. uh, yeah. Some of these conversations are, are, are necessary. And this will not be the only time we talk about mental illness. And I think in future episodes, we may talk about more things more specifically. This is just where today's conversation yeah. went. And I think it's worth a reminder that this is a conversation between two people. We're not experts in any nope. given field. We're just... This is your, yeah. what you're doing is you're hearing two friends talk about this stuff. That's what you're hearing. Yeah. So uh, we thank you're you for my friend? with us. If you, <laughs> well, I got to change my Facebook status now. Uh, <laughs> we would love uh, to hear from you guys. I do want to let you guys yeah. know. Please yeah. talk to us. You can write us it write write to us at Ryan one eight zero Becker on Twitter at Tony underscore Anobly uh, for Tony's Twitter, and then you can email me Ryan one eight zero Becker at gmail dot com. We'd love to hear your stories. Just talk with you. Uh, become friends with you and, and maybe point you in the in some sort of direction where you can get some help if you personally are struggling with this. Um, but we want to thank you guys so much for listening, for for journeying with us through this. And uh, if you want to like, or like what are we, what are we YouTube? If you want to subscribe <laughs> to the podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, pretty much any podcasting app that you can think of. Uh, just search for Absurdity Ryan Becker, you'll find it. And uh, if you if you subscribe to us on iTunes, please leave a review. That really helps yes. us. The other thing you can do, and I have more news about this coming within the next month. But uh, if you want to subs- if you want to support the podcast financially, you can do so at patreon.com slash absurdity podcast. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash absurdity podcast. But thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate you. Without you, this journey doesn't happen. Uh, we are regularly getting over 1,500 downloads per episode now, and it's amazing. And so I'm just so thankful for this community and for uh, for what's happening here and for the, the privilege that we have to do this. So thank you guys so much. We'll see you next week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.